Welcome to Health System CIO's Partner Perspective interview series. I'm Anthony Guerra, founder and editor-in-chief. Today we're talking with Mark Mangus, Principal Specialist Solution Architect for Global Healthcare with Red Hat, about how for some health systems, the COVID-induced rush to the cloud may have left them with a suboptimal setup and what they can do about it today. Mark, thanks for joining me. It's my pleasure, Anthony. All right, Mark, why don't we start off, tell me a little bit about your organization and your role. Great. So uh, many people are familiar with Red Hat through our Linux product, Red Hat Enterprise Linux. Um, but we're, we're much more than that. We, we pioneered the commercial open source industry uh, 30 years ago. And we, our model is a little bit different than most high-tech companies in that we do all of our development in what we call the upstream or the community environment. And all of our software developers are fully engaged in the upstream. And then what we do is we provide 24 by 7 by 365 global support contracts for our customers on, on the on the open source uh, products that are produced. So you have the best of both worlds. You get all of the innovation that happens out in the open source world, but you get it fully supported in an enterprise environment. And my role at the company is uh, as part of our global healthcare team, where we... Uh, engage specifically with healthcare companies to try and figure out uh, the best ways to not only deploy our products, but the best way to help them kind of uh, realize their visions of where healthcare is going uh, over the next three to five years. All right. Very good. Well, we're going to talk a lot today about the cloud and what uh, healthcare organizations are doing. Uh, the scenario I described in the intro is that of a sort of a rush to the cloud um, needing to deal with COVID, needing to stand up different applications, perhaps not having the capacity on-prem to do that, maybe jumping into cloud environments quicker than they might have planned, and perhaps some suboptimal setups from that. Uh, is that what you saw on your end? And can you maybe just go into that a little more, maybe lay out some of the scenarios that you think are, are out there right now and why they're suboptimal? Sure. So, yeah, what we saw with COVID, uh, you know, early last year was uh, a complete um, oversubscription of whatever resources were available uh, in the healthcare community for for seeing patients. Right, so they couldn't. The hospitals were were full. Um, the primary care offices were full. No, nobody could could deal with the the rush. So they did what they had to do. They they got telemedicine. Uh, which had been kind of limping along for a few years uh, in, in some nascent state, but they got it fully, you know, enterprise grade and running so that they could start seeing, uh, handling the rush of all these patients. Unfortunately, what that meant is they didn't necessarily harmonize that effort with their their other IT projects or their other, their, their other uh, initiatives that were going on, uh, especially the move to the cloud. And so what happened was, they ended up getting a lot of resources running up and running and up in the cloud, but they didn't necessarily do the upfront analysis and the due diligence for properly setting expectations and properly uh, realizing uh, the kind of things that were expected budget-wise. In other words, the cloud ended up not saving the money. Um, it ended up costing the money. 
um, so now there's, you know, this, it's just starting to have this kind of retrospective view amongst our customers to look back at, at what happened and think about, okay, what is, what should be our strategy and how do we, how do we get there? Um, how do we, how do we move all this stuff that we had to stand up because we didn't have any choice um, into a more optimal uh, infrastructure that frankly is balanced between, you know, public cloud, private data centers, um, because not everything can go into the cloud, right? Especially in healthcare for various reasons, uh, compliance, not the least of which, uh, you know, needs to determine uh, where, where different workloads can run. Mm -hmm. um, and where the data is. So there's a lot of that kind of analysis that needs to be done that uh, they're diving into now because they have to. So the, when you talk about upfront analysis, you're talking about a number of things. You're talking about cost being one of the major things. Um, and then you're also talking about the placement of different workloads. And you think all of that may have been done incorrectly in different scenarios or suboptimally. So we don't understand um, the cost structure that we're in for. And perhaps we didn't plan on that. And well, what do we do now? And perhaps we've put different workloads in places they shouldn't be. Right. So how do we get that all harmonized and right-sized? Is that is that what you're saying? Right. And let me give you an example. Um, one, one example is you know, treating the cloud just like a new server. And, and what I mean by that is I take something that I have running maybe on a virtual machine inside my data center, and I just move it to the cloud with no analysis. And I see that happening every day, <laughs> companies doing that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what they're expecting, quite, quite honestly, but uh, that isn't going to save anybody any I mean, it, you may need to do it for practical reasons or or as a way to get a foothold in the cloud for certain workloads. But um, typically, you want to do an analysis about what that's what's running on that server. Why is it running on in that particular configuration? And is it something that can be broken apart? For example, can we take it and move, move it into a container environment, uh, which is much less resource intensive? And much easier, frankly, to move around between cloud and on-prem. Mm -hmm. um, and you know that's that's just one example. But I see I see this. Um, you know, the opposite end of that is analysis paralysis, where they spend you know years analyzing you know thousands of applications that might be in their portfolio, and nothing ever gets done. I think there's a balance between those two extremes where you can move some workloads to the cloud that, you know, maybe you can containerize immediately, kind of the low-hanging fruit. And then, you know, the rest of them you can move over time. And some you might not ever move. Um, an example of the, those that you might not ever move are things that are certified by the FDA or some other regulating body that, you know, frankly, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to get applications certified. And I know if in life sciences and pharma, they have to deal with a lot of that reg regulated industry kind of uh, application certification. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's a huge effort to move those things anywhere, cloud or otherwise. So those, those might be the last ones. That, but, yeah, you, you know. Yeah, go ahead. ahead. I was just uh, going to say, so, you know, the, the chickens are coming home to roost now, so to speak, after the, bit, the mad rush to the cloud. And they're kind of looking back and saying, how should we have done this this kind of harmonization or analysis to, to move only the right things cloud? 
what do you think causes that moment of realization? What are, give me an example. Somebody gets a bill, somebody, or somebody, maybe there's a breach. Is there a security? Could yeah, this be could a security be. issue? What are, what are the different things that'll cause that realization? It could be just as simple as a bill that you weren't expecting. And, and unfortunately, our, our wonderful cloud partners are famous for surprise bills. Mm-hmm. Um, where, in, in you know, it's not all their fault, frankly. Uh, you know, you should, when you're going to the cloud, you need to think about things like, what what is my management platform? And I don't just mean IT infrastructure management. I mean financial management. Um, I need to be proactive about what I'm spending in the cloud because, you know, especially going from a completely different mindset of paying for subscriptions versus paying for utilization as it's done, right? Consumption-based licensing. That's a huge mind sh- mindset, you know, change. And a lot of companies don't prepare for that. And so then they end up with this huge bill that may be out of cycle with their budget cycle, which is the horror. That's the worst case scenario, right? Suddenly you get tens of thousands of dollars in charges that you, you hadn't budgeted for. So, and I've seen that happen, not just healthcare. I mean, that's not unique to healthcare. It's, it's anybody, but um, you have to look at all of that in, in the, the centralized management possibilities are out there. Um, you know, Red Hat has them, other companies has them, but the, the point is that you need to think about your ha- you're spreading your workloads out all over the place. And you need a way to make sure that you're managing those workloads in a proactive and a centralized way so that you know where you're spending your money and you know where your, your CPU cycles are happening. Uh, and quite frankly, you know where your data is. That's the really crucial piece. If you don't know where your data is or where the, the new uh, the data flows are happening inside your workflows, that's you're opening yourself up. You're ripe for a breach. Do you think these larger health systems, you think you could get to the point where you're so, I don't know, disorganized is the word that you don't know, (laughs) you don't remember where you put all your data because you're being so experimental and trying everything out and you have hundreds of applications and 40, 50 hospitals and you lose track of what's where? Is that what you're talking about? It can happen. I mean, I've seen companies do things like trying to to keep track of their workloads on spreadsheets. Um, and I would just want to walk, I'd want to walk in, turn around and walk right back out of an environment like that. I mean, it's just, why would you do something like that? But, um, it happens. I mean, people do what they need to do in the moment without thinking about the future. Right. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's kind of the nature of the beast. And if you have any time, uh, most health systems have to deal with that shadow gray IT, whatever you want to call it, things not being handled through that central flow. Um, I could really see things getting crazy if you have that, where you have mm-hmm. departments, you know, putting things in the cloud here, there, and then the CIO is not, not really being kept informed, then they have to go find it. Right. That type of thing. Ab- absolutely. And look, the cloud is the cloud. The promise of the cloud is to give your, give your organization the agility to bring resources online when and where they're needed. But you can only realize that promise if you have enough discipline in your organization to properly plan and execute not only the migration to the cloud, but I'm going to say right-sizing your workloads. In other words, putting them where they need to be. And that's not always cloud. Sometimes it's on-prem, right? 
So the whole disciplines of DevSecOps and site reliability engineering, SRE, those those are not just, you know, pretty words, fun concepts. Uh, implementation of those types of disciplines are crucial to properly taking advantage of, you know, the possibilities that you have with this new infrastructure. Do you get the sense that that on-prem is almost a dirty word? And so the rush to the cloud is just headlong. I mean, I've heard CIOs say for the a few years now, I don't want to be in the data center business. I want, I want, I want everything in the cloud. Is it going too far and perhaps not not well thought out? Meaning, on prem is okay and in fact better in some scenarios. Mm-hmm. It, it it is. It, it shouldn't be a dirty word. It's it's really you should have the power and the flexibility uh, because of your choices in process and your choices in tools. Uh, to almost on a workload by workload basis decide where where the best place to run is, right? And you're you're all in my opinion, you're probably always going to have some things running on prem, um, whether it's management nodes or, um, like I said, certified applications or maybe you know some of the larger organizations have you know, millions of dollars invested in legacy architecture, like maybe mainframes, mm-hmm. but they can't move mm-hmm. the cloud, right? Uh, without significant work to modernize pieces of the application architecture, they could do it if they if they really put their mind to it, but they can't just lift and shift it into the cloud. That's not going to happen. So it's got to be part of the planning. And then, and then as you grow and you look at global organizations, it becomes even more poignant, right? Because they've got, not only challenge of uh, planning centrally and executing locally, um, but they have to then think about, okay, I have to be multi-cloud by the nature of my organization because one cloud vendor can't handle Mm -hmm. uh, all of the the workloads that I need globally. So, you know, there's that, you throw that into the mix and it's, it's a very challenging environment, but to me, it all starts with discipline. You don't you don't start planning for how you're going to do it after you do it, right? <laughs> Ideally, you wouldn't do that. Do you think the the I don't know, it's hard to say the average CIO um, is the technology getting away from them, or or do they? If you sat down and give them a quiz, would they be able to uh, correctly place workloads based on different scenarios you offered them and different possibility multiple choices of here's your workload described where are you going to put it a b c or d do you think they're up to that or is no. that more the infrastructure you need a, a a director of infrastructure or chief infrastructure is the te- is the are these scenarios are they up to making these decisions or do they need to go outside to get some help well you've bumped up against one of the biggest problems and it is it's not exclusively healthcare, but it, it's very common in healthcare, and that is uh, data and processing are in silos, and they're, they're functionally oriented silos. So you might have one silo for uh, clinical, I'm just making this up, but mm-hmm. clinical operations, one silo for pharmacy operations, another silo for uh, archive data that they need to look at for analytics. In other words, they set these silos up to kind of carve up the pie mm-hmm. of all the things that they have to do, right? The problem is these silos become institutionalized and they become self-serving 
And in most organizations, they don't necessarily like to talk to each other. They're, they're very insular and internally focused. So the result of that is, yeah, the CIO is kind of sitting over all this going, I don't know what's going on, right? So the typical response is they initiate a project to uh, rationalize their application portfolio. I hear that a lot, rationalize mm-hmm. my applications, right? So that means analysis. I've got to go in maybe for thousands of applications and, and go in and analyze what its runtime requirements are terms of what data does it need to connect to, how is it secured, what teams are running it, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's something, in my view, if you have to do that, you only want to do it once, mm-hmm. right? So you better be incorporating that effort, which is substantial, into your overall plan for where you're going in three to five years and where you, what the outcome needs to look like, which is, to me, the outcome would need to be I want to be able to, to, to decide on a workload by workload basis, as I said, where am I going to put this? And I need to have all the infrastructure and processes behind it to make that happen. You mentioned you only want to do it once. Um, how did you keep that inventory uh, known as opposed to, like you said, you do it once and six months later, the the information you've collected is irrelevant because everything's moved away from you. Yeah. Good question. So what I meant by that is, you know, the manual toil mm-hmm. of doing that analysis kind of on spreadsheets or, or however yeah. you do it uh, would be done once. And then from there, there on out, it would be, it would live inside of some kind of a management tool mm-hmm. that would keep track of it for you. Right. Um. And as I said, Red Hat has those, other companies has the, have those. But the point is, you would have a single pane of glass. You hear that term a lot. But in, in truth, what you would want is a single pane of glass where you could go in and say, okay, what's running in my infrastructure? And then I can drill into different zones or, or different use different criteria to kind of sort through those workloads and, and get it to show it to me in a format that I want to see it in. Mm-hmm. So no more spreadsheets. <laughs> right, right. Let's go back a little bit. You mentioned the, the concept that some people, they, well, most people find attractive about the cloud, which is one, the agility. So it's unlimited potential for computing power. I can buy whatever I need. I'll never top out. Um, and the other thing is that you only pay for what you're going to use. Right. I think your point before was, yeah, that sounds great. But if you wind up using a lot, you may not yeah. realize how much you're going to be paying. So that only pay for what, and especially if they're getting lots of requests from departments and research who says, hey, we want to do this, we want to do that. And they say, great, we're in the cloud. We could spin it up. And then right. they get the bill, right? right. So talk, talk about that a little more. So let's, let's, let me answer that in terms of kind of the ideal situation. Um, so the cloud starts to pervade the organization and, and departments that have requests for resources start to understand the possibilities of, you know, what they could be doing mm-hmm. with all this agility and compute power. So they're going to start flooding your IT department with, you know, requests for standing up entire new networks, entire mm-hmm. new infrastructures. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's great. But what, what needs to happen, first of all, is in a, in a siloed environment, that, that kind of thing can be a nightmare. Right, because you don't necessarily have the cooperation between the different departments within IT to to uh, respond to those requests mm-hmm. in a way that doesn't alienate the business 
Uh, typically, it's the business that are at, at that's asking for those things, right? So, what you want to do first, in my view, is address the cultural issues that are barriers to kind of the optimal solution, and that is instead of looking everything at everything in silos, start to look at, look at them as a value stream. So what part of the business is requesting it? What are they trying to do? And what what's the likely value to the overall organization of implementation of what they're requesting? Mm-hmm. And then align the resources behind that value stream across departments. So you might have some data people, you might have you know, some uh, data scientists working on AI, you might have some security people. You create a cross-functional team that's aligned behind that request, not only to do the proper due diligence to determine, you know, what the value is up front, which is a really good idea, right, to set your expectations, but you're also kind of pre-populating the team that's going to execute that request across all the different functional uh, areas that need to be involved. And I've seen some companies, more innovative, progressive companies that are starting to do it this way. And not only does it speed things up in terms of executing and time to value, but it really smooths out the communication ongoing. Um, and this is all kind of done in, in, in a, uh, an environment where you've already implemented something like DevSecOps and on the ops side, you have site reliability engineering going on as a discipline. And then you've got this value stream thing happening on top of that. Now you've really got something in terms of a way to transform your organization from the old siloed, I don't know where anything is, kind of <laughs> structure to this new value-based structure, which is really what you're trying to get. When you think about everybody talks about digital transformation to the point where it's just noise, to me, mm-hmm. right? How do you do that? Well, to me, how you do that is you change the way you realize value, and then you pull everything through from that. The only point is, how do I get value? How do I derive value from my investments in either buying new things or investing in changes to my organization? Why would I invest in something if I don't know what the outcome is going to be, right? So you go back to the value. What's the value to the business? Mm-hmm. And that should set the stage for everything else. Right. And I think your your point, one of your points is that you can't let this turn into a free-for-all uh, where governance goes out the window because everyone's so excited with the unlimited capacity. Hey, we can do everything. Let's go. Exactly. Governance has to be there, right? Yeah. And, and rather than say, rather than putting your hand up and saying no, mm-hmm. a better approach is, um, okay, I'm going to spin up this team for you. And we're going to figure out what the value to the business is with you. And then we're going to determine the right team size and structure and what resources are required. And it's all part of the project to get it done, right? So it's not saying no, but it's maybe asking the business to do a little bit more uh, due diligence than they're maybe used to Mm -hmm. uh, in the current culture. But the promise of doing that is we're going to align behind you in IT. And we're going to give you whatever resources you need to get this done. If if it meets the uh, smell test for the right. value, right. right? It's a valuable thing. You want to go after a new market, maybe, or you're going to spin up a new line of business, or maybe you're doing you're, you're doing a merger and acquisition or something like that. Um, let's do it, but we're not going to do it the same way. 
Can we talk a little bit about workload portability? You mentioned the containerization. You want to um, give our, our listeners and viewers a little more advice and information about the potential of containerization and what it allows you to do? Sure. So for those viewers who might not be totally familiar with what a container is, um, think of it as an evolution of where we, we've come from with virtual virtualizing workloads. So, you know, a few years ago, virtual machines were, were where it was at because now you, you've kind of disconnected the direct hardware requirement from your application workload by virtualizing it. So in a virtual machine, there's a copy of a full-blown operating system in there with your application. And so it's portable to some degree, but it's rather large and mm -hmm. resource intensive because for every copy, you've got to have the operating system. Containers kind of break that mold and shrink kind of an order of magnitude because there's only a sliver of an operating system inside a container. There's only just enough functionality to get basic things done like uh, file IO and uh compute management and running, you know, a runtime to actually run your application. And that's almost all there is in there. So uh, because there's so much less overhead, uh, your application gets most of the resources inside the container. The challenge going from virtual machine to container is think about it in terms of you've got an application that maybe was written 15 or 20 years ago and follows a monolithic architecture, we call it, where Every, absolutely everything that application needs to do is, is in one uh, executable piece of code, mm -hmm. right? That's kind of how we used to write applications all the time. And then, you know, object-oriented application structures came along and, and things evolved now to the point where we talk about microservices, where everything is broken up into services that talk to each other. So each, each piece of functionality in the code is separated. Mm -hmm. And it talks to every other piece of code through a service connection. That's an ideal architecture for a container because containers are used to running clusters of containers. So a bunch of containers run in an environment together and there are standardized ways for them to talk to each other. So the microservices then layer on top of that and you can spread out the different pieces of the microservice architecture into the containers and put them where they run best. So you can start to profile, for example, um, how, much, how much resources a particular microservice takes, and you can put it in the right container so that it's grouped with other like uh, pieces of code microservices uh, that take similar amounts of resources. And of course, you have a management program that helps you profile all this and, and run all this together. So that's a lot of information, but the net result is you have a lot more flexible and agile infrastructure and you can take these containers they are very portable because the runtime requirements for a container are minimal um, in terms of complexity. So you can decide, well, this one would run best on-prem. This one would run mm -hmm. best on Amazon, but I'm going to take this other set of containers. I'm going to run them on Azure for some reason, right? Mm -hmm. You can be arbitrary about it from, the, from a technical point of view, you can be arbitrary. Um, from a business point of view, you can say, I want a cost-optimized environment to run this workload. And if it's already in a container, you've got the ultimate flexibility because clouds are all based on Linux and they're all based on containers now. So all of these services that the cloud is offering you are containerized as well. 
that they eat their own dog food in it. <laughs> so uh, you re- definitely recommend our readers uh, look into this and make sure they understand this. Yeah, it's it's the the move to containers is as big a deal as the move to virtual machines was, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, it's not going to be where it, anything ends. I mean, mm-hmm. we'll have something after containers. Yeah. Um, there, there's, you know, uh, a lot of architectures that are kind of out on the bleeding edge, maybe the next thing, but right now and probably for the next five to 10 years, containers are going to be where, where it's at in terms of breaking things into multiple you know, microservices and then optimizing them to run in containers that, that profile just like they do. You know, you're talking about cutting edge stuff in healthcare. Um, there's maybe three uh, very, very prominent EHR vendors and a health system. That's their core is the EHR. Everything else sort of hangs off of that. Um, and, you know, I've heard frustration from time to time that they're limited with their pace of innovation, how much they can do and move things forward by whatever EHR vendor they're with. They're, they're a hostage, maybe an extreme word, to their R&D, and they're, they're rolling out updates and things like that. And I've heard them say, if, if they won't do what we need to do, you know, we have to do it ourselves. Right. And then if we even do it ourselves and then we... We create it and work it into the HR. And then when finally they get ready with their own version of it, we back it out. So it's a lot of waste, but yes. they're able to satisfy their needs. Um, and I think you have some thoughts about uh, how open source sort of frees you from that a bit. Um, you're not locked into one vendor's uh, R&D and roadmap. So if you want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, open source or or otherwise, the the idea is that you as a company need to take responsibility for for your own infrastructure. Put it simply, right? And and not be your first thought shouldn't be what does my EHR vendor do in this area? Uh, that can be part of the evaluation for sure, right? Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't always say um, I need a data integration platform because I want to do you know, some stuff outside the EHR. So what does the EHR do in this area? Do they have a tool for this? Uh, you know, frankly, who cares if they do or not? Because you need to be responsible for your own data. And open source can, you know, kind of provides the promise. If you, you can set it up in kind of a lab environment to test it, test it out yourself. But there are some amazing tools out there to do things like I use data integration as, as an example, there's lots of different areas we can talk about, but data integration seems to be pretty centralized because interoperability is such a big deal now with the CMS mandates for, you know, these corporations to provide data to patients and provide data to providers, for example, um, they're going to start being penalized if they don't do that. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, a lot of organizations move at the pace of regulation. They're not innovating anything doing things because they have to do mm-hmm. so now that they have to do it uh, a lot of them are going to the hr vendor and saying help what do i do um and you know they're going to provide you a solution a very expensive solution and one that is completely beholden to their product platform and their architecture but if you're going to make the effort anyway wouldn't it be better to investigate other solutions and other options uh that may give you more flexibility and more power frankly in the future 
um, where it's just a matter of connecting to their database. But, you know, maybe you want to set up, for example, a centralized uh, way to generate FHIR data, F-H-I-R, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which is, you know, the mandated standard format. Um, maybe you want to have a, a, a capability or repository to create fire data on request. This is an architecture that I'm familiar with because it's something that we do uh, for customers every day where it's not a matter of, you know, the old, the old thinking, the old mindset was, okay, I've got to support fire. So that means now I'm going to create a governance problem because I'm going to copy an entire repository, put it in a new format Mm -hmm. and then sync the two, the two repositories together. So that, what does that do? It creates governance headache, it creates security headaches, it creates, you know, much more resource utilization. But this is how they think. Mm-hmm. This is the old way of thinking. Wouldn't it be better to have an event-driven architecture based on microservices running in containers that will take that incoming request for information and say, oh, okay, I know where that is because it's already been defined, right? So I go get the data. Mm-hmm. I translate it into fire on the fly. And I deliver it to who asked for it with a complete audit trail, all secured. Transactions are all secured because the handoffs are all validated. Um, but the data gets to the, to the requester in the format they want it, but there's no persistence. Mm-hmm. There's the fire data is, uh, in computer terms, ephemeral, right? It doesn't get saved to a repository. So I don't have a governance problem, but I have a complete audit trail about how that data was translated and who got it. So that's a much better approach, just to take one example um, of kind of a more open architecture mm-hmm. and a more open way of thinking about that kind of problem. Well, listen, uh, Mark, we're almost out of time. I want to give you a final opportunity. It sounds like, um, you know, you've got a real message for healthcare CIOs almost to stand up for yourself and <laughs> get your freedom and break free. That's right. Um, but uh, it, it sounds like you probably look at some things that go on in healthcare and you just shake your head. You can't believe what you're seeing. Is that every, correct? Almost every day. <laughs> right, almost what's every your, day. What's your final inspirational message to our CIO listeners? Um, I think the, the, the message is that you have a huge opportunity right now because of the technology that's available and because of the way the world is mm-hmm. to leap ahead with innovation. And um, even though I just mentioned technology, it's really not about the technology. It's about changing the culture of your department and aligning yourself with the value players in your company in this new way that I described, where you create a culture of innovation. And that culture of innovation will allow you to build a platform for innovation. And the platform would, would, would necessarily align with the value culture. Right. Mm-hmm. So what that'll do is it'll completely change and realign your entire infrastructure and all of your architecture and all your design thinking, product design thinking in a new way. And mm-hmm. this is the way it's going. And if you're still worried about what your EHR vendor thinks, stop worrying about it because they have to listen to you. You're the one that's writing the checks. Right. So they're going to get dragged kicking and screaming into the future, whether they like it or not, they're going to have to adopt this microservices architecture and they're going to have to innovate to keep up with you if you kind of take this path. So it's really up to you. Um, and I think uh, it's a really exciting time because of the, not only because of the technology, because 
I think a lot of these healthcare organizations are waking up to the fact that they can get a huge amount of value by realigning this way and having their IT uh, department come to the table with the, business, with the lines of business and talk about value. Well, I'm inspired. So you sold me. I'm, I'm excited for the rest of my day now. So Great. thank you, Mark. That was a tremendous uh, discussion. And I really appreciate your time today. I think people are going to enjoy this. So thank you. All right. Thank you, Anthony. It was my pleasure.